Uh, why don't we all stand up before we begin? Thank you again for joining us. You guys are loved. We appreciate you guys coming out here, during, especially during the holiday season. All right. Um, before we begin, I would like to call up my brother Isaiah to come up and uh, share a quick testimony of what, of what God has been doing in his life. This guy is an awesome man of God, awesome brother in the Lord. All right, Isaiah, kick off this service with a testimony of the Lord. All right, let's give it up for Isaiah. Hello, guys. Um, yeah, lately I just uh, been discouraged by uh, my family just uh, preaching the gospel, just continue on uh, loving on them, and just not seeing fruits in my family. It's just been uh, been really uh, hard on me. So um, lately I just been uh, just going to Jesus and rejoicing, and He has been giving me a uh, peace and joy and love and just knowing that he he's still he's still with me and he still loves me and he still he still loves my family and i'm not gonna quit just because um i don't see fruits in my family so and uh philippians 4 4 says rejoice in the lord always no matter what even if you don't see results just rejoice because he he is always good so yeah so i'm gonna pray right now just to open it up uh Lord God, I just uh, thank you, Lord God, for who you are, Lord God. Thank you for your love and your joy, Lord Father God. We have confidence in you, Lord Jesus. We believe and we have faith in you, Lord God. I pray, Lord Father God, we just worship you, Lord God, because you are worthy, Lord Father God. You are faithful and you are good, Lord God. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Yes, Lord, you're good today.
couple moments right now and just lift your hands before Jesus as a sign of surrender. And if there's something that you're holding back from God, if there's something that you're holding from Him, can you just say right now, God, I surrender that to you. I surrender my family. I surrender my life. I surrender my future to you. surrender it all to you today, God. You know what's going on in our lives, God, and you know the good and the bad. And Lord, we just want to surrender it all to you. We want to put it at your feet. God, there's so many things that go on in our life that we just can't control, we can't contain, and we don't know what to do next, God. So I just pray, God, that we would be humble and that we would come and lay these issues at your feet to know that we don't have to be strong. We don't have to try to carry it all by ourselves, God, because it is in our weakness that we see your strength, God. So I pray, God, that we would just surrender it all to you. And let us sing this chorus again and just get that in your heart and just give it to Jesus, whatever it is that is going on with you today. Give it to him. to you today, God. I thank you, Jesus, for being our Savior. I thank you for coming down as, as a baby, coming in the human form, coming in the likeness, God, that we can relate to, Lord. And I just thank you, God, for growing up, for being a man who took all the world's sufferings. And God, I, pr I am so thankful, God, that you are just so strong and willing to save those who want to be saved, Lord. We surrender all to you today, God, and we just thank you, God, for being strong in our weakness. And I just pray this all in your heavenly name, Jesus. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Oh, I just want to take this time. I want to preach the gospel to you. And 1 John 4, 9, and 10 said, This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. First John talks a lot about love 
and God's love. And, and this passage is so powerful. John 4.10 is one of my most favorite verses in the whole Bible. And he says, because this is love. Now, it's not our love for God. It's his love for us. We can do nothing to save ourselves. But God has already done everything to save us. All we have to do is repent and surrender and accept. So if that's for you today, know that God is love, that he loved us. He showed it to us by sending his only son into this world that we might be saved. And I just want you guys to take a moment. There will be a time in our fellowship time. We'll have a couple prayer workers here. And that if you feel like you just need to get prayed for today, for whether it's for repentance or surrender, or this is maybe you've been backslidden, you've been far away from the Lord, and you need to rededicate yourself, these, this um, couple that will be up here will just pray for you. And so I just want you guys to just get it in your heart that God loves you. And that he did it for you and he would do it again. So if you guys would just bow your heads and eyes with me as, as we just pray. Father God, we come before you. We thank you, Lord, for sending your son to die on the cross for us. And we surrender ourselves. We surrender our lives and, and everything that we hold dear to you, God. We repent if there's anything in our hearts that is withholding us from, from you, God. And we just lay it down at your feet. And we just ask for your forgiveness today. We love you, Lord. And we just lift this in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. And we're going to recite our confession of faith. It's our Christian worldview. And we just uh, we do this so we can remember how important that is, this is. So on the count of three, we're going to recite this. On one two, three. I believe in one God and creator who is the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Father who so loved the world, the Son who purchased my salvation in his death, burial, and resurrection, and the Holy Spirit who makes me new and abides in me forever. I believe in the perfect Holy Bible that reveals God's purposes and plans for my life. I believe in the second coming of Jesus who will judge the living and the dead. I believe in the eternal reward of believers in Jesus and the eternal punishment for all unbelievers in Jesus. I believe in the United Church of Jesus Christ, built upon apostles and prophets, elders and deacons, in which the gates of hell shall not prevail. I believe in the salvation for all mankind is by faith alone, in Christ alone, by God's grace alone, and for the glory of God alone. Amen. Greet your neighbor.
Good morning, good morning, MPI. So nice to see your beautiful faces this morning. If you guys don't know who I am, I am Jerry. I'm one of the campus pastors here at Metro Praise International. We are so glad that you have uh, decided to make this your, your church for this morning or for indefinitely. Um, we just uh, just thank you guys for being here. Uh, we want to just give you guys, we, we hear every Sunday at 10 o'clock and 1 p.m., but we also have Elevate on Fridays at 7 p.m. So that is for ages 11 to 18. If you guys are in that age range, we want you guys to, to come to that. That is your service. It is for you. Um, if you guys know anybody that age, you better be inviting them because this is where they're going to get plugged up, charged up, and get ready to change the world. Amen. So we have a vision here. Our vision is to connect, to mentor, and to send you out. All right, so um, that is our discipleship discipleship strategy. I cannot speak this morning. Um, and we just want to get you guys connected. This is where you guys are going to get connected. So if you guys have that little handout, you, this is all of our life groups. We have ministry-based and special needs-based. You guys can check those out. Get plugged in. This is where you guys are going to get set on fire. This week's life group, just to give you a rundown of what's going on at MPI this week, we have single moms today. That is going to be awesome. I know there are Christmas parties going on, so you guys need to check that out. If you are a single mom, you know a single mom, bring them with you. Um, Wednesday, we have King's Kids. That's an infant to 11 years old. That's so exciting. These kids are just awesome. We just had just a huge event this past Wednesday for our King's Kid. We had over 100 children here and 68 parents. That is like the biggest. Let's give the Lord a hand clap of praise for that because that is awesome. Uh, Friday, we have uh, the Govea's Bible study. Actually, there's... They're not having Bible study this week because it is New Year's Eve or New Year's. It's New Year's Day. You guys, I just want you guys to have a great New Year's. Amen. And then um, come next, the following Friday, we are going to just blow it up. It's going to be so exciting. We have um, the Truth Project, which is going to be going on. And you guys got to come to one of those life groups. And then we have Saturday evangelism here every single Saturday. If you guys want to grow in your faith, this is where you go, hit the streets, bring the gospel. Amen? So, all right, so that is our vision. Um, discipleship, we have a way to do that. With This is, we call it the 101. This is the one-on-one -on -one mentorship. This is where you're going to go through the book on how to just live out your faith with Jesus. And you're going to do that with an elder or deacon in this church. If you guys have not gotten connected to that, definitely do. Then we move you on to the 201. What's up? Got 201ers in here? All right. We need, some, we need a few more. So you guys just get connected, stay connected. Then the, we're going to raise you up. You guys are going to learn what a disciple does and how to do it and how to be it and for the long run, for the long haul. Then we want to send you out to change the world for Jesus. We have a goal here. It's 100,000 disciples in the city of Chicago. We want to have 50 churches here in the city. And then we want to have 500 churches around the world. If you believe we can do that, say amen. Amen. All right, so then we also have a way to do our tithes and our offerings. I want you guys, um, we are going to our giving book. This is where we are learning just about the tithe, and then we're going over hindrances. So today's hindrance, we are going over overcoming idolatry. Man, let's see. Am I 
and technology will work. <laughs> All right, um, hindrances, let's go over that. That is something that prevents us being obedient to God's commands. In the scriptures, Matthew 6, 24, he says, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. There will always be a master looking after your heart, and it is going to be one of those two things. One, a man cannot serve two masters. Jesus made it very clear that the number one competing idol with true God was money. He taught that you couldn't have two masters because one will always be in charge of your life. Love and hate. Serving God will cause you to hate the idol of money, and serving money will result in you hating God as your master. Most idolaters will not publicly admit that they hate God, but their rebellious disobedience to his commands of generosity show their inner hatred. So the question is, who is our master? If the idol of your money or of money is your master, then you will let it decide how you give to God. However, if God is truly your master, you will let him decide how you spend your money. I always say, don't do for money what you won't do for love. So that being said, it's like we'll do things for our jobs. We'll do things for money. We'll do things. We'll go the extra mile. We'll even skip Sundays. We'll do whatever. But it's like, well, are we willing to do that for the love of God? So in summary, make God the master over your money and make your money obey God's commands. How do we apply this? Be faithful. Be faithful faithful, be faithful in giving your tithes. 10% of your total incomes, your offerings, is anything you give after the tithe. Repent if you have allowed your master, or you've allowed the idol of money to be your master by preventing you from obeying God's commands and giving, and joyfully love God and make him the master of your entire life. Let's confess this together. By the power of the Holy Spirit and the guidance of the word of God, I will not be hindered by greed, laziness, unbelief, discouragement, or fatigue in my giving to God. I will overcome bitterness, impatience, pride, fear, idolatry, and live a life of obedience in my finances. Amen. And we have a couple ways you guys can give. You guys can give up here. We also have online giving, so you guys are able to do that online, either through Chase QuickPay. We have PayPal. We're also able to take your credit cards in the back if you want to give that way. And we also have a way for you to give um, in, in those ways, sorry. And then um, we also have an offering that's coming up in 2016. We believe in being a debt-free church, so we don't want to spend money we don't have. So this is where we are going. This is our building fund for 2016. So we just want you guys to pray. Just pray and ask God what he wants you to give in the upcoming year beyond your tithe. And then listen to him. Listen to see how much he tells you to give. Sometimes we think that we don't have enough, but God has a way to bring the increase to make the people of God do what he, what he asks. And that's what we're talking about is obedience. So give, be faithful, give generously and sacrificially. Amen. And let's just pray for that tithe. You guys can all stand with me.
Oh, Jesus, God, we come before you, Lord. We are just so thankful to be in your house, and we know that, that we have lights on because of those who give, God, and we know that we are able to meet here every week, Lord. And so I just thank you for that. I pray that you bless everyone in this building, God, those who give, and I just pray that this would be a year of prosperity for those who are trying to find jobs. I pray that you would bless them with a job, bless them with the prosperity, bless them with financial giving, Lord. And I just pray that you would just be with each person this year and that they would be joyful, that they wouldn't do it out of condemnation, but that they would just rejoice as they give. Lord, I just thank you and I pray this in your awesome name. Amen. Amen. Rejoice as you give and greet your neighbor. Man, how many want to hear from Nancy Wyrostic today? Make some noise. So good to have my boobster boo. <laughs> She's chilling all here. I love you so much. I missed you. Nancy was gone for five weeks, five weeks. And the situation, for those who may not know, Nancy and I were driving home from a birthday party that day that there was a lot of snow. And a car ran a red light and hit us. And she was in the passenger side totaled our car and broke her ankle in three different places. She had to get rushed to the emergency room, get a surgery done the next day. A few weeks later, she got another surgery done, which put two uh, plates, or three plates, 
two plates with over 20 screws in her leg, and there's over 40 different stitches and three different cuts on her leg. And it's so good to have you back, Boopster Boo. Hopefully Tuesday we'll get the stitches removed, and then she'll get a boot on it. But she cannot walk for the next three months. She has to be on a walker. But next week, she said for the new year, she's going to start doing the announcements again. Amen. <laughs> so she's going to waddle up there and get something, but uh, like a chair. You want to sit on a chair? All right. Tell us what's been going on this whole time because we've missed you. It's so good to be back. Thank you for all the prayers, your love, your care, concern for my family and I and everyone that has offered to serve us in, in any way. I'm so excited to be back. It's been so long, but it's funny because when I walked in today, I feel like I haven't missed any time. Um, but God has been faithful. He is so good, and it's just uh, amazing to see his hand in every detail of our life and how he truly does prepare us for tragedy. He'll prepare us for trials and tribulations, and that needs to be an encouragement and a reminder to us as we're in this sermon series to always abide in the Lord because if we're not abiding in him, uh, when when tragedy strikes and things happen and we're in a hard place, we won't be ready for it. But when we're abiding in the Lord, we will be ready. He prepares our hearts. He prepares our minds. And that's because he's a good father. He's not uh, a mean bully. He's a good father. He takes care of us. And when things happen, because we live in a fallen world, we can always trust his heart. We trust his provision. We trust his care because he's a good, good father. And so I just rejoice in his faithfulness, in his faithfulness and goodness. And I really, really look forward to walking very soon. But we still cover your prayers. I love you. <laughs> I got some friends from Florida in the back. Let's give it up for Madeline and her husband back there. Dude, I f I'm so sorry. I forget the name. Chris. Dude, it's so funny because all I used to know was Chris and Madeline. And now I know Curtis, your brother, and I see him all the time. And isn't that amazing that because of your guys' coming to church, he became on fire, serving the Lord, one of our deacons now. Curtis is one of the best. Love him. All right, open up your Bibles with me to John 15. Good to see everybody here this morning, uh, and this afternoon rather. Uh, let's look at the last sermon of the year, which is also the last sermon of this sermon series. Now, let me just say this. It is a message on joy, and I thought that this morning when I was preaching on joy, it would be a joyous sermon. It really wasn't. It turned out to be a lot of rebukes, and I think it's a good thing that we get rebuked every now and then. So I just want to let you know, as I hear your responses, and more than just that, as I sense your heart in this message, it will really determine how this message will go. So it may be a soft, easy message. It may come across very light and encouraging, uh, but then again, it may come across very rebuking, and I want you to understand why the Lord has to rebuke us, and the reason why the Lord has to rebuke us is because we're not listening or obeying to what he says. So that will be determined upon you now as the audience. Will we have a, si a light, encouraging message, or will it have a rebuking tone to it? In just a few moments, the Lord will start to speak to me as your heart is in response to this message, and I'll let you know how it's going to be, okay? I'll let you know. I promise you will know in just a few moments what it's going to be like. John chapter 15 has been the sermon text for this entire series. It is where we get the understanding of the name Abide 
because Jesus said it ten times in this passage. And what I want you to see is that I added a little bit more to this passage to give us today's sermon. So you'll notice that I go a few verses more. But let's start in John 15, 11. Every time you hear the word abide or see the word abide, would you say it out loud? Can everybody say abide? Thank you. I am the true vine. My father is the vine dresser or gardener. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes so that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, thank you, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. You guys are doing great. Thank you. Verse 5, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit, for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered, and they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they are burned. If you Abide in me, thank you, and my words abide in you. You will ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. That's powerful. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, as just as I have kept my Father's commandments and Abide in his love, and here's the two, or rather the one extra verse. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may abide in you and that your joy may be full, complete, and perfect. So I want you to see now we have 11 times the word abide is used in this passage. We have gone throughout this entire sermon series looking at this illustration that Jesus gave us. Jesus is the vine. He is that brown vine that goes into the vineyard to produce life. From that vine comes these branches. Those branches are what produces fruit. Who is the vine? Jesus. Who is the vine? Jesus. Who are the branches? You are, believers. The fruit, the Bible doesn't name specifically in this passage, but we can count the fruit as being the fruit of the Spirit good character, morality, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, and self-control. Also, fruit can be the fruit of ministry, fruit in discipleship, having fruitfulness in the church. Fruit can also mean success and blessing in your life, fruit in your career, fruitfulness or blessing in your family. Those are the different ways that fruit is used in the Bible. Now, when we look at like this leaf right here that's not so pretty, the Bible says that the gardener prunes these kinds of things so that the branch may bear more fruit. Who is the gardener? No, Jesus is the vine. We are the branches. Who is the gardener? The Father. <laughs> My wife hasn't been here in a little while. Got to help her. The Father's the gardener. That means the Father has his hands on your life. When you are a Christian, the Father is going to prune things out of your life. The things that you go through have a purpose. Now, today we added on this verse that wasn't in the context before, and that is these things I have spoken to you that my joy may abide in you. What are the things that Jesus spoke to us 
that would give us the joy, that would give us abiding joy, the very things we have been reading and studying the entire sermon series. So why did Jesus teach us about the vine and the branches and the gardener and bearing fruit? Why did he speak those things to us? So that his joy might abide in us. Now, what kind of joy does he give us? Does he give us partial joy? No, the joy that he gives us is full, complete, and perfect. The same way he saves us perfectly is the same way he fills us with joy perfectly. Do you have perfect joy right now? That's the question I want you to ask yourself because I know in this church many of you do not have perfect joy. Many of you have an attitude that you give yourself permission to be um, rude towards God and disrespectful towards God. And how you do that is how you talk about your life. When you talk about your life in a demeaning way, when you put yourself down, you are being rude. When you put down your life and you put down your circumstances that you're in, you're being disrespectful to God because God is the gardener. God is the one that is in charge of your life. And so when you have complaints and you have bitterness, you're no different than the people of Israel who complained against God, even though it was him that delivered them and brought them into the desert for a season of testing. So while you are being tested, God wants you to have joy. See, when my wife went through what she went through, she had a choice in that test. Would she be bitter? Would she be upset with the person that caused the car accident? Many people, as we've told the, the story to, are upset with the man who caused the accident. We're not upset with him. Why? Because our trust is in God. Nothing happens in this life without it being father filtered. Now, in his circumstance, I don't think he intentionally did it. You know, I think there are things we should get upset about, but he's not one of them. But I know for some of you, if that would have happened to you, you would be mad at the person who ran that red light. You would be dealing with bitterness. Now, my wife had that same temptation. Why did she not give the root of bitterness? That's because she chose to find joy in the Lord. It's the same thing. Many of you have had tough upbringing. Some of you haven't had good fathers or good mothers. Many of you grew up in tough neighborhoods. And there are some of you that have forgiven the people in your life. Not approved, but you have forgiven them. You have forgiven their neglect. You've forgiven their alcoholism. You've forgiven their abuse. There's others of you that are still bitter. Now, you see, the test that you're in, this life, you now have the choice to whether or not you get better or you get bitter, whether or not you have the fullness of joy or whether or not you have partial joy. And whatever areas you don't surrender to God, you cannot have joy in. If you don't surrender your sexuality to God, you can't have joy in your sexuality. If you don't surrender your attitude towards God, you can't have joy in your attitude. If you don't surrender your past and what people have done to you, you will not have joy. And so there could be someone sitting next to you that has had a worse life than you suffered more abuse than you, suffered more trauma than you, but they will have the fullness of joy and you will be busted and disgusted because you have chosen your pain over God's remedy. Now, we don't want to hear that in the church today. What we want to hear is that God's going to fix it all and that we don't have to do anything in participation with him. Therefore, if I'm not fixed, it's God's fault. 
Therefore, if you don't have joy, you want to shake your fist at God and say, it's your fault I lost a job. That's why I'm not clapping today in church. It's your fault my mother died. That's why I'm not singing praises to you. And so when you begin to think that way, you now will have your own doing come back on you. And what you will have now is a heart that is full of sin hatred towards God, and now you will suffer in your own despair, not only for this life, but when you die, you'll be treated as a rebel against God and his kingdom, and you will suffer eternally in hell. So you will win nothing in being bitter towards God. A, you'll be busted and disgusted down here while other people around you are happy. Then you will go to hell and suffer forever. So do you, you have a choice. You can either abide in Christ, take his word seriously, and let his joy abide in you, or you can suffer in this world alone and then suffer eternity away from God. What do you want to do? Be honest with yourself. Look at your neighbor and say, what do you want to do? It's really up to you. It's, it's, it's your choice. You see, when you walk through the trials and tests of your life, I won't be there with you. I can't, I can't force you to praise God. I can't force you to put your trust in the Lord. When my wife went through the situation, she was, and I'm just pointing to her as an example. Many here have suffered more than her and are serving God as well. And I, if I have time, I'll tell some of their stories. But for the sake of just a, a, an example, my wife was in the hospital room giving God praise and glory, trusting him for what she was facing. My aunt has been a Christian most of her adult life. She's in hospice right now. At the end of 2015, her cancer went to stage four. She declined the chemo. She's 73, and now she is dying. She is on pain medication, but she is praising Jesus anyhow in the midst of her pain. You see, what some of us say would be the worst fears, the worst tragedy, the thing that would break you is what other people are saying is what is making them. So what breaks you may make you if you allow it to, to bring you to closer to God. And I want to give you a couple stories like this because I know in a church like Metro Praise, a lot of us think that we're the only ones to suffer the way we suffer. So someone may come to me after a service and say, you know, I'm homeless, Pastor, or I've, I've lost my job, or someone that I love is uh, not serving God right now. And this, this is heartbreaking to me. And so what happens so easily is we forget the stories of the past and we think we're the only ones. I want to tell you a story about uh, this man named Horatio, who had a family of five. He had five children. How many children did Horatio have? Horatio had five children, four girls and one boy. His only son, Horatio Spafford is his last name, the Spafford's only son was killed by scarlet fever at the age of four. So they had five children. The son was killed of scarlet fever. That would be this age right now for Lucas, dying at the age of four. A year later, he was from Chicago. His entire investments he had along Lake Michigan were burned up in the great Chicago fire. Because he had now basically lost his business and lost a son, he decided to go travel with D.L. Moody, the great Chicago preacher, in 1873, in England. At last minute, because of something in his business, he could not go on the ship. But not to ruin the vacation for his family and children, he sent his wife and four daughters ahead of him. On November 2nd, 1873, 
the Villa de Havre or whatever collided with the Lotren, an English vessel, so two ships collided. It sank in only 12 minutes, claiming the lives of 226 people. Anna Spafford, Horatio's wife, had stood bravely on the deck with her daughters, Annie, Maggie, Bessie, and Tanita, um, whatever, clinging desperately to her. Her last memory had been of her baby being torn violently from her arms by the force of the waters. Anna was only saved from the fate of her daughters by a plank which floated beneath her unconscious body and propped her up. So could you imagine being on the deck of a ship as it's sinking, your four daughters are holding on to you desperately, you're watching them go, and the last one is your little baby, you watch your baby go, you, die, you pass out, you wake up unconscious, and now your four children have drowned. Upon hearing this, Horatio took the next ship from New York to go meet his wife. He wanted to see the place where the ships had crashed. And when he found that place, God put in his heart this song. When peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roar, whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. You see, he lost his son to scarlet fever, and he lost four daughters on a shipwreck. He had no more children. He had lost his house or his businesses or homes all in the Chicago fire. And I want you to listen to what his wife said. This is what his wife said after she got back to land. It's easy to be grateful and good when you have so much. But take care that you are not a fair-weather friend to God. I wonder how many fair-weather friends to God we have in this room today. What has Christianity cost you? Have you given up anything for Jesus yet? Have you lost any friends for Jesus? Have you lost any jobs for Jesus? Have you had to say goodbye to people you love? Have you paid a cost for Jesus? And then what have you suffered in life? Some of you have said, yeah, I've suffered. Have you suffered to the point of losing all of your children? Have you suffered to that point? My friends, people have suffered so much that we can't even imagine. Here is a Christian woman, 87 years old, who is suffering from Alzheimer's. She's being taken care of by a nurse. How do you know this will not be you, young lady right here, not to, not to curse you or to make you think bad. I just want to be honest with you. How do you not know this will not be you? I, I mean that in all seriousness. I know it's funny. I just pointed you out. But, no, I want to be honest. How do you know this will not be you? You have so much strength right now. You look young. You have a lot of life ahead of you. But how do you not know this will be how your days end? Alzheimer's is the death of your brain. Do you know how you'll die? Do you know what it will be like when you die? If you get to see your deathbed, most people say you're fortunate because you get to say goodbye to your loved ones. Some of you will die from heart attacks, brain aneurysm, strokes. Some of us will die in accidents. We will never be able to say goodbye to our loved ones. Those who get to say goodbye to their loved ones may have to endure a painful, slow death. This is what it's like when people have Alzheimer's. This is what this woman is suffering now. This precious lady, to bring her comfort, sings to her the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Put up the words so we can hear it, please. Oh, it's muted here. Thank you. Put it up. 
Can you open your eyes now? Listen to her talk to her. Can you see me? Can you save me, Warren? Have you ever been to a nursing home? This may be your lot in life. Maybe mine. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. He's got the whole world in his hands. You see, my friends, you may He's not just face the tragedy. And the fathers. You may not just face the tragedy. He's got the mothers excuse and me, the fathers. Of watching people die around you, you may face the tragedy of losing your mind. I was called to preach inside of a nursing home. I don't believe that was any coincidence. Many people today, still to this day, when they hear me preach like this, they say, Pastor, you're the only person who has got me to think about life the way you did. You have had me see the end of my days brought to my attention now and how deeply I need God. Why is that? Because I was called to serve the Lord in a nursing home. Some of you don't want to serve God now, and you make it so difficult. Your peers, your friends, they make you lose your joy so fast because you don't want to surrender everything to God. But you know that these men who were brought to a beach, they were brought to a beach for one reason, because they were Christians. All they had to do was say, I don't want to serve Jesus, and they would have been spared. But in this time, what were these Christians doing? These Christians were reciting the Lord's Prayer. The joy of the Lord was their strength. They were saying to themselves, it could be heard by witnesses, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. They were praying the prayer of the kingdom of God. Why? Because they knew that this world doesn't give them joy. Because if this world gives joy, then this world can take joy. God is the one who gives joy. Look at these words again. These things I've spoken to you that you may have my joy abide in you and that your joy may be full, complete, and perfect. See, what is taking your joy today? People are facing the same situations you're facing, and they're saying, it won't take my joy. Because joy is a choice. Some of us here today need the definition of joy. How many would like to know the definition of joy? The definition of joy is that it is the state of delight and well-being, listen, that results from knowing and serving God. Many of us here have the wrong definition of joy, and we substitute it with pleasure. You think that God is here to give you pleasure. And so when you face times of persecution, sufferings, and trials, there goes your joy. But you don't understand the real definition of joy. And that's what I want to confront in many of you here today. And I still don't know if I'm rebuking or encouraging. We'll see as the message goes on. But some of you here today, I don't think, understand this difference because I listen to you as your pastor. And as I see this past year, I hear many of you complain because you think God owes you something that he never promised. God never promised you everybody would get along with you. He actually said the opposite. He said people would hate you. God never promised you that you would be rich in this world. He actually said you would be blessed if you would be poor because you would have less distractions.
God never promised you that he would let your loved ones live forever. As a matter of fact, he told you to look at their life as a cloud of smoke or a vapor that's here today and gone tomorrow. And so what the problem is, is once some of you have had to face difficulties, because you don't know what joy is, you have substituted for pleasure, you now think that God is not good. And I love what my wife said, you make God out to be a bully. You think that God is doing this somehow to be mean. But I want you to understand this. It's not on the board, so everybody look up at me, please. I want you to know the difference. When we sinned with Adam and Eve in the beginning, God could have destroyed the world at that point. But God allowed the world to continue on. It would have evil now. It would have that evil. But God would give us hope in the midst of that evil. Now today you see evil. And evil touches everything, not just in moral evil, but in natural evil. Sickness and disease is a natural evil. It is not a moral evil. Somebody doesn't do a bad thing and then get cancer. But cancer is an evil that is here because the natural world, the natural order is in disarray. If you were to ask me, Pastor, what's wrong with the world today, I would say everything. Everything is wrong with the world today. Now, you may think to yourself that without Christ, that somehow people can get around this evil and find some type of temporary uh, joy or pleasure. But that, that's fleeting. That doesn't last very long. Even the greatest joy that someone can find in this life is parenthood. The greatest joy is parenthood. Even uh, better than marriage, I would say, is parenthood. Second, I would say, is marriage. But look at the joy of parenthood. Hang out with parents for a little bit and see how long their joy lasts. Parents and children will tell, you get parents together with their children, they will tell you that their joy doesn't last very long. Even my wife, who I think is the greatest mother in the whole world, is a homeschooling mom with four beautiful children. I can always hear in my office as things begin to go south throughout the day because her voice gets louder and louder and louder. And all of a sudden, it's traveling through the ceiling, through the, the vents, and I can hear her yelling at the kids, losing her temper. And I write to her, text her, peace be still, mother, peace be still. And I can get almost on my high horse and think I'm so much better than her until all of a sudden now this has happened and I've had to take care of the kids. And where it took four hours for her to start losing her temper, it only takes me about 30 minutes. Put it to you like this. If parenting was the fullness of joy, then why aren't all parents fully happy and satisfied in life? If sex was the fullness of joy, then why aren't porn stars the happiest people and most fulfilled? If money makes you happy, then why aren't the rich the most full of joy? If education is the source of joy, then why aren't the educated the most fully satisfied? As a matter of fact, today, listen to me, my friends, your worst days with Christ are better than your best days without Christ. I want you to think of it this way. Your best day without Christ might have been a paycheck, a marriage, or something that you were facing. But that joy was like an hourglass. That pleasure was fleeting, and eventually it ran out on you. But today, if you were to suffer the death of one of your children, if you today were to find out you were to have cancer, it would be, it would be the worst nightmare of your life. One of our missionaries talked about being raped in India while she was serving the Lord. If that was to be your day, if this was to be your day, being brought before Muslims and being beheaded, it would be better than that best day 
of being a non-Christian. Why? Because your joy would not run out. Your fullness, your perfect joy would be with you in the midst of this trial. That is what God is promising us. And I'll show you that in the scriptures as we begin to see that it's exactly the opposite of what we think. We think that pleasure will bring us joy. But God says, I bring you joy and my joy lasts when pleasure leaves. See, pleasure comes and goes. That's the point, my friends. But Jesus remains the same forever. The definition of biblical joy is knowing Jesus and being in a relationship with him. Let's look at Matthew chapter 5, verse 12. I sense some rebuking coming on. How many are ready for it? I am ready to give it, but I think that the Lord may tame me a little bit this service. We'll see. But I want you to be very truthful with yourself, my dear friend, because it's not for me today that you've come to church. This is not a concert for Joe Wyrostic. These empty chairs don't speak against me. They speak against people's love for God. Full chairs in other churches don't speak towards God either. Many of it only speaks towards the popularity of a preacher. Today I'm not here to impress you, to make you come back. If you don't come back tomorrow or next week, thank you because you've made room for ten more to come who want to learn. But listen, that's not about this. What this is about is you hearing what God says because this is a word for our church. This is a word that God gave me as a pastor for us to end our year on, and it's up to you whether or not you apply it because those days that my wife and I suffered, and still there's some trials ahead of us, but those days that my wife and I have suffered for that broken leg, that may just be the beginning. Is anybody here promised that you're going to make it home today? One of my friends posted on their Facebook that their friend died in a car accident Christmas night. Are you promised that you're going to make it home? How do you know that your husband may not die today on the way home? And I'm not trying to speak vulgar or to make you think that I'm cursing you in any way. What I'm simply doing is telling you the truth. See, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven for in the same way they persecute the prophets who were before you. You see, Jesus commands you to rejoice when you're persecuted. It's not an option. It's a command. So that means for these men that were in this circumstance that were being beheaded, God commanded them in this circumstance to rejoice. Rejoice. Now, does this just means be silly and be like, oh, I'm so happy you're beheading me. No, because they're not rejoicing in the evil that the people are doing. They're not rejoicing in the abuse that they're receiving. But what they're doing is rejoicing in God. You want to see that in the Bible if someone rejoiced in the midst of persecution? How many would like to see that? Amen. Now I sense the rebuke coming on because you're going to see it whether you like it or not, I guess. But it would be nice to have your participation. How many want to hear today's message? Amen. Listen to this. This is Jesus at his time of death and shame or rather of, um, of crucifixion. Look at what it says here. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. Some of you here cannot endure getting up and coming to church, getting yourself ready, being in life group, doing what it takes to be in discipleship because of the problems of your life. Yet Christ found joy when he went to the cross. 
Some of you here cannot serve God and turn your back against peer pressure and greed, be faithful in tithing because you love money or are deceived by this world, and yet Christ was willing to give up the treasures of heaven to be whipped 39 times, and he did it not with a bad attitude. He did it with joy. See, where is your heart today? We look then not only to Jesus, because somebody may say, well, that's good for Jesus, but that, you know, it ain't nobody like Jesus, Pastor. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Well, the Bible says we're supposed to be. And then in Acts chapter 16, the Bible says that Paul and Silas got arrested for preaching the gospel. They didn't get arrested for going to the crack house. Look at Romans, uh, or rather Acts 16, 16. Once when we were going to the place of what? Where were they going? So were they going to the drug house? Were they like Khloe Kardashian's husband, that basketball player, going to a Las Vegas strip club and a, 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 a prostitute? No. Once we were going to the place of prayer, they met somebody who had a spirit that could tell the future. And I've seen this in the French Quarter in New Orleans. And what they do is they cast the demon out of her. And I've also seen that as well. And they cast the demon out of this woman. And then guess what happened? They seized Paul and Silas. The mob brought them before the leadership of the government. And then look what happened to them. The magistrates ordered them to be stripped, beaten with rods, And then they were severely flogged, thrown into prison, and then they were fastened with their feet in the stocks. Some of y'all can't praise God when you get fired because you have a bad attitude. Some of you can't praise God when you're in traffic because somebody cuts you off. Some of you cannot praise God because you didn't get what somebody else got on Christmas and you have a spirit of self-entitlement. But these men were on their way praying, casting out demons, helping people, and were whipped beaten, stripped naked, thrown into jail, had their feet put in stocks, and at midnight, instead of posting their complaints on Facebook, instead of gossiping, they started praying and singing hymns to God. Now that's up to you what you're going to do, but I've decided that I won't let this world take my joy. I've decided that I won't let a car accident redefine my life. My wife decided she won't let broken bones define her life. And the other prisoners were listening. You see, people don't pay any attention to you when you complain, cuss, and act just like them. They think your Christianity is fake. They don't take you serious. But let them watch you pray and give glory to God in the midst of bad times, and that will turn their neck and get their ear to listen to what you have to say. All throughout this experience, Nancy has been given some of the highest compliments from the nurses, the doctors, because of her attitude. Others in this room, once again, have gone through similar situations, and it was God in them. That brought about a testimony, but these men decided to sing and to praise the Lord. You see, uh, Jesus gave us the command, rejoice. There's no option. He didn't say, it's up to you. You decide what you want to do. No, you face persecution, you rejoice. That's where the joy of the Lord belongs. Then in Romans chapter 5, everybody go to Romans chapter 5. We see that Paul, the same one that was singing in a jail cell, says that we need to not only Rejoice in the midst of persecution, 
but we need to rejoice in our sufferings, that we need to take glory, which means to be joyous in the presence of God. Glory here means to be joyous in the presence of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit He's given us. What Paul is saying is here, the reason why I rejoice in suffering is not because of what I'm going through, not the thing itself. The thing itself is evil. The thing itself is painful. The broken body hurts. I miss the person that's been killed or or lost. I love them. I miss them. But what I'm rejoicing in is that God's love has been poured out on me. When problems happen in this world, the wrong attitude is to say, God, why do bad things happen to good people? You know, my grandma's such a nice person. Why does she have to have cancer? This child did nothing. Why do they have cancer and are dying? Listen to me, my friend. The death of children, the death of your grandparents, the pain of the innocent is not supposed to get you to shake your fist back at God and say, why does bad things happen to good people? It's to get you to wake up and realize that good is happening to somebody. Why do good things happen to anybody in this world? The Bible says sin brings death. Do you know that when Adam and Eve sinned, God would have been justified for there only to be death, for every child to die of disease, for there never to be sunshine but only darkness? So why is there good in this world? Why do we see good days even in the midst of bad days? Because God is showing us there is light in the darkness, and you are supposed to pursue the light. There is life in the midst of death. You are to pursue life. There is goodness in the midst of evil, and you are to pursue evil. So think of it this way. You have a conscience. You have a conscience that says, I feel bad this child has cancer. Well, don't take that conscience and shake your fist at God and say, God, how could you allow this this child to have cancer? No, ask God. Say, God, what are you showing the world that the world is so evil that even children have cancer? God, we need a Savior. God, we need your mercy. God, we need your protection. Why? Because without God, no one gets to go to heaven, and we all die and go to hell. So what does the loss of a child teach us? We need Jesus. Children aren't our hope. I remember one time flying with my wife. We were on a plane, and it started to experience turbulence. And my wife said, oh, I'm not, I, you know, I was getting a little nervous. And, she, and I asked her, are you nervous? She said, no, I'm not nervous because there's children on this plane. God wouldn't let this plane go down with children. But, children. but children die all the time. Four children died in one accident. God allows children to die every day, my friends. I'm not here to teach you that God murders the children. What I'm here to do today is teach you is that God allows children to die. God allows you to die. God allows you to suffer. God allows me to suffer. God allowed my wife to have her ankle broken. Why? Because God is saying in a world where everything is wrong, in a world that is evil, will you trust me? Will you turn to me? Or will you trust in yourself? So when I see the loss of a child, as heartbreaking as as it is, it reminds me death is coming to me. If children die, I die. If that woman can have Alzheimer's, I can have Alzheimer's. What are you going to do about it? Shake your fist at God or have abiding joy and trust him. You didn't give yourself life. Therefore, God decides when it ends. You take your life 
God will punish you for that, and you will die and burn in hell. Trust me, my friends, because what you are doing is murdering yourself. Murderers have no place in the lake and no face in the kingdom of God, but their place is in the lake of fire. Don't murder yourself. Trust God with your life. Let him determine the end of your days and how your days go, because today he's not looking for fair-weather friends. God is not just looking for people that say, oh, I'll trust you when things are good. No, will you trust him when you suffer? Because what happens when you trust God when you suffer? You get perseverance. You learn that you can go through things you never thought you could have gone through. You then get character in your life. It develops in you the kind of character that Horatio had. That Susanna Wesley had. Think about this. Susanna Wesley was born in the 1600s in a time when people would die so easily. Susanna Wesley had 19 children. 11 of them died before she died. That means she buried 11 of her children. Susanna Wesley, excuse me, was the mother of John Wesley. She was the one that I used as an example that when she would make her prayer time, she would put the apron over her head and say, children, when you see mama put the apron over her head, let her be because she's spending time with Jesus. Nine of her children died as infants. Four of her children who died were twins. A maid accidentally smothered one of her children, and at her death, only eight of her children were still alive. And she's one of the best Christian women of our time. She was the mother of John Wesley and Charles Wesley. She didn't shake her fist at God. How dare you shake your fist at God? How dare you post your complaints on Facebook when, when Susanna Wesley trusted God when she lost a nine of her ele- 11 of her children? See, do you think God says back to you, hey, life sucks. Take it out on me. I'll understand. No, God doesn't. God says, life sucks. I'm awesome. I command you to rejoice in me. That's what he says. That's how we go through our troubles. You don't want to rejoice in God. Suffer now and suffer later. You choose to rejoice in God, find his pleasure now and have it forever. What will you do? See, right now, your excuses have gone out the window, haven't they? See, because God has found you out. The jig is up. You think that you get to decide when you praise him. You think you get to decide when you go to church, when you get to lift up your voice. How do you know, my friends, you'll have your voice tomorrow? We were with my aunt as she's in hospice. She's dying right now. I wish I could take all of us to be by the bedside of a Christian who is dying because so often we think that, you know what, we're going to have this glorious end to our life. No, sometimes Christians die just like the rest of the world, emaciated, losing your breath, gasping for air, not having enough water or oxygen. But as my aunt is dying, she is praising God. Why? Because she knows who her helper is. If you can't praise God, how will you praise God on your deathbed? One man was dying in the 1800s of a painful disease, and he was screaming out the entire time curse words towards the Lord. The man who was in the other room didn't know who he was. The next day he woke up and he found out that was his friend from Bible college who had backslidden, and in his deathbed, instead of repenting, he was cursing out God. That man then traveled that day to go somewhere, and every time he heard the hoof parts, uh, the hoofs of the horse beating upon the ground, he heard the words in his heart, death in hell, death in hell, death in hell. This is all man has to look forward to without Christ, death in hell, death in hell. You will come to nothing. 
your body will die, and without Christ you will go to hell. And Paul says, but if we have the joy of the Lord in the midst of our suffering, we can have perseverance. We can learn to build character, and we can learn to have hope. Lastly, First Peter, and uh, Peter said in First Peter chapter one verse six that we are to look at every trial now, not just sufferings, not just persecution, but he said, in all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. How many people here have suffered all kinds of grief in all kinds of trials? About three of you, how many have ever suffered anything in life? Come on, help me preach. Paul, uh, Peter was complimenting these saints. He said, you know what? He said, you know what I love about you, Ricky? And I'm going to make this personal about Ricky as well because I'm going to mention others than just my wife. You know what Peter said? He said, he said, Ricky, while you lost your mother to cancer, you greatly rejoiced. Not in her cancer, but you rejoiced in God. That's, that's what he's saying to people like Ricky. Ricky, in all this, you greatly rejoice. Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trial, these have come. Why have these come? Why has God allowed these trials to come? Why is God allowing Christians to remain in a world of evil? Why does God allow us to have our children die? My mother is a praying mother. You guys, some of you have seen the war room about a praying mother. My mother prayed me into the kingdom. She prayed those same prayers for my sister. But she got into a car on her own, my sister Jenny did, and drove drunk, hit a pole going 70 miles an hour, and my mother had to bury her daughter. So why did it happen to Jenny and not to me? I did just as many drugs. I drunk and uh, drived and, uh, when I was drunk so many times. Why? Because God was merciful, gave me one more chance. Her chances were up. My mother saw me saved, saw her daughter lost. So why has this come upon my mother to bury her daughter who died drinking and driving? These tests have come to you, Mama Lorraine, so to prove the genuineness of your faith. Hey, Lorraine, look, everybody, look at me. Will you serve me even if one of your daughters go to hell? Will you serve me even if one wants to die? Will you serve me even if one gets cancer and dies? Susanna Wesley. Will you serve me if one of your maids kills one of your children by accident? Will you serve me, Horatio, even if four of them die on, an a, on, a, on a boat, drowning, clinging to their mother? Will you still serve me? Will you serve me? Some of you say, well, Pastor, I don't like that kind of God. Well, that's the reason why there's idols in this world. You can make a God out of your own image if you want. You can, make a, you can make an idol out of your sports team, and you can try to forget about this world. That's what they do. I'm not saying sports are bad, but look at what people do when they make an idol out of sports. I don't want to hear the preacher talk about the end of my life. I don't want to see pictures of people with Alzheimer's in church. Pastor, just tell me something happy so I can go on my way. You're supposed to be talking about the joy of the Lord, <laughs> Pastor. I don't like you talking about the joy of the Lord. You're making me sad. But here's the thing. You can make an idol out of your sports. You can make an idol out of your job. You can make an idol out of your family and say, this is my family. It may make me so happy. But in the end, death and hell, death and hell. That's all that awaits your family without Christ. That's all that awaits my family. So what do we do? We hear the words that Jesus said, abide in me, abide in me. 
You mean, Jesus, when I go to my funeral, uh, I mean, to go to the funeral of somebody I love, I'm supposed to abide in you? Yeah. Anybody here been to a funeral and abode in Christ? Ricky did. Tears still coming down the eyes, abiding in Christ, singing praise and worship unto God, just as Rachel did here. They did at his mother's funeral. I preached it. Joy in the soul overcame the sorrow of death. What are you going to do when your time comes? Are you going to abide in Christ? Or are you going to run scared if off into the wilderness of your own pain and hide? My friends, you'll find no temp- you, you may find temporary relief, but you'll find no joy there. Joy only comes from the Lord. These have come so that the genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. You mean when I praise God in the midst of my pain, I'm giving him glory? Yeah. And you say, when I don't praise him, I'm dishonoring him? Yep, that's the way it goes. So what does God mean to you? See, to me, my friends, God saved me November 5th, 1995 from hell. And he promised me that after death I live again and I will rise again with him and live forever. So every test I face now, I'm going to praise my way through it. It doesn't always come easy. It hurts. But I'm going to praise my way through it and give God glory. I'm going to give the creator of this universe the glory that he deserves. And when all this world fades away and when all the gold has perished and gone away, my praise and my God will remain. See, what will you have for eternity? You will either have your doubts and your fears in hell or you will have your praise and your love for God. It's what you cling to now that you get in the end. See, right now, if you let your pain darken out the sun and lock yourself in a room and scratch on the wall, there is no sun, there is no light. Number one, that never denies the reality of the sun. That is just the lie you believe. But then in the end, when you die, the sun will be taken from you and you will be locked in confinement forever in hell. But if now... In the midst of your jail cell, in the midst of your pain, if you begin to trust God and know God and love God and praise God, you will find the sun, the S-O-N, the light of God anywhere you are. You will hear him speaking to your heart. You will hear him knocking at your door. He will say to you, here I am. Come and dine with me. He'll say to you with your burdens, come. Those who are weary and heavy laden. And find rest for your soul. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my load is light. You see, Christianity was not birthed in the 21st, American, 21st century of the American culture, compromise and obesity. Christianity was birthed in a world where Christ came into a manger, where people were crucified for punishment, where, where rebels were set on fire at the stake. One of the uh, Today, actually, I'm going to be posting up a picture that I made for Facebook, and I'll show it to you right here. Uh, I made it for Facebook because I've been wanting to uh, 
put up these pictures that say never underestimate the power of God. And the reason why this has been so real in my life is because it has come into my life that I realize that I underestimate the power of God. That, you know, going through this trial with my wife and everything, I saw how easily that I could become afraid, how easily I could become full of doubt. And God was uh, saying to me that, no, there is a, a benefit to trusting him even when I don't see him. And this is the picture that I'm putting up today uh, to, to never underestimate the, the power of God. It's Christians being martyred in a theater in Rome, Christian Roman martyrs, and they were being set on fire and crucified. And you can read Fox's Book of Martyrs to see this. But these are based on true stories. And this one right here um, I have, and I got a... Um, a verse that I have with it, but look at what it, look at this picture right here. Never underestimate the power of God. You know that Ignatius, one of my favorite Christians, was uh, eaten alive by lions, and on his way to on the way to his death, uh, what Ignatius said was that as we listen to what he said, don't pay attention to what I'm doing here because I can do two things at once. Sometimes I get distracted while I'm doing this, but listen to what I'm saying. What Ignatius said as he, went, he knew he was going to be eaten alive by lions, he said, as we chew communion for the glory of God, these lions will chew me for the glory of God. I mean, how much courage could a man have? You understand how much courage that would take? All he had to do was deny Christ. All he would have to do is say, I don't want to do this Jesus thing anymore. I mean, could you just imagine if they did that to you? I mean, if, if I said, I mean, I don't even want to put myself in this, but th let's say somebody said to you, we're going to feed you to the lions. We're, we're going to put you in a lion's den like they did with Daniel. Anybody remember the story with Daniel in the lion's den? Imagine this. This is what they say they're going to do to you. And here is your way out, Daniel. All you have to do is stop praying. All you have to do is stop serving God. And you can come out of this thing. That's all you have to do. And yet Daniel, in the midst of the lion's den, still prays, still serves God. I can't get this to blow up anymore. Maybe, maybe just get this one right here. I'm just trying to get the image so that it would be in your mind. Ignatius said, as the lions chew my flesh, or as we chew communion, may these lions chew my flesh for the glory of God. How easily we get deceived into believing something other than the gospel. We think the gospel is like winning the lottery, that somehow now everything is owed to us, and that joy is like our choice, that if things go good, then I can be happy. But if things don't go good, I can't be happy. That's not what the Bible says. We are to have joy in the midst of persecution. We are to have joy in sufferings, and we're to have joy in trials. Now, here's some scriptures for you to think about, about joy. Blessed with complete joy. Everybody say complete joy. Thank you. Deuteronomy 16, 15 says, For seven days celebrate the festival to the Lord your God at the place the Lord will choose. For the Lord your God will bless you in all your harvest and in all the work your hands, and your joy will be complete. See, does it say here we get a reality TV show? Does it say everybody gets to live forever? Here's complete joy according to the Bible. Work hard. Go to where God says to go and do it unto him. Did anybody do that for Christmas? Has anybody been working hard this year? Did anybody take some time off to thank the Lord and be with him? 
you came to church today, that's a good place to be, right? Now is your joy complete? See, the Bible says that's all you need to be full of joy. But you see, your greeds can surpass your needs and steal your joy. When you think you need more than this, when you think you need that car, that job, that relationship, that way of thinking will cost you your joy. How about this passage here from Nehemiah 8.10? Nehemiah said to the people, go enjoy choice food, sweet drinks, and send some to those who have nothing prepared. This day is holy to our Lord. Do not grieve, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. Now, who is Nehemiah speaking to here? Is he speaking to people that have just won a great victory? They're celebrating life and how fun it is? No, Nehemiah is talking to people who had just had their entire nation destroyed. Their city was captured. They were taken into captivity. Not Nehemiah is a contemporary of Daniel. And now they go back to rebuild their city. And you know what they see? Enemies now live all over their city. Now just imagine this. Imagine if China took us over, all of America, destroyed Chicago, leveled it, brought their people to live here, took you as a slave to Beijing for 70 years, and now you come back as an old man or woman, 80 years old, whatever, to Chicago, all Chinese letters everywhere. Your church is destroyed. Nothing is the same. What are you going to start doing? You're going to start crying. You're going to start saying, this ain't Chicago. This is not where I was born and raised. Look how it's been devastated. Go to Katrina if you don't, or, or, or New Orleans when Katrina happened. Hello, somebody. I was there. It's devastating when you see your city, your home destroyed like that. Now look what God says. Hey, I'm your joy, and I brought you back here, so I want you to have a party. But, God, we don't feel like it. Our houses are destroyed. No, no, no. I'm your joy. You go get some food. You go get some sweet drinks. Praise the Lord. You give some to those who don't have any. And don't you cry. You start celebrating because the joy of the Lord is your strength. I want everybody to listen to me. If this body gets destroyed, if I was to die in that car accident that my wife and I were in, if I were to die like that man died on Christmas night, my, my friend's friend, listen to me. I don't want you telling Bethany, oh, you know what, let's keep grieving for your dead. No, I want you to say, Bethany, we're going to celebrate and we're going to rejoice because your father once used to be a sinner on drugs and he didn't have to go to heaven. All he deserved was death and hell, but Jesus saved him, gave him 20 years of a blessed life, gave him a wife, gave him children. So baby girl, get you a sweet drink and some food and rejoice. You see, when I went to the funeral of Pastor Sutherland, who was a Bible college professor for me in the African-American community, he was born and raised on the south side, then moved to New Orleans. When I stepped into his funeral, it was a party. Why? Because his wife said, we know we're going to miss him. We're sad because he ain't going to be here no more. But we won't let the grieving take away the joy of the Lord of having Pastor Wade Sutherland in our lives. Am I telling the truth? They were praising God for the person that he was and what God made him to be. Some of you said, well, you don't know. You may say to me, you don't know the funerals I go to. That's why you better start preaching the gospel. Start preaching the gospel so that when you go to funerals, you can rejoice in what God did in their lives instead of mourning their loss and their soul. Let us go to the funerals of the believer and go, praise God, they moving on up. Come on, it's over here. You see, I would rather have my daughter only know me for seven years as a man of God, 
than for her to know me her whole life as a drunkard, an alcoholic, a cheater, a loser. And I could have all of that with money. Hello. I would rather her know a man of God for seven years than for her to know me as a sinner for her whole life. Joy in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 1611 says this, you make known to me the path of life. You fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. You know, Christmas has just passed, and uh, many people are thinking about, you know, all the things that they can get for Christmas. But there was a story about this man who had lost his joy for Christmas because what had happened was he had lost two of his wives, and one of his sons got uh, uh, paralyzed in the Civil War. And I want you to hear what he wrote as a hymn during the Civil War when people were killing each other and when he had lost both of his wives. Now, they say that losing your wife is worse than losing a child or a husband is losing a spouse is worse than a child because that person is the person that you're with every day of your life where a child may not have that same kind of intimate relationship with you. Now, if you ask me, both of them would be horrible, but that's just what psychologists have said when, when they do the grieving scale. But this man here, his name was Henry Wadesworth, and we'll get the last name up here. This, Henry, or, or um, well, Charles is his son. Charles is the son, that one that gets injured. But, but listen to this right here. Let me go here to the other article that I was reading. Sorry, I'd, I'd replace it. I thought I had it ready. He wrote the hymn, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Henry Wadesworth Longfellow, right? Now listen to this. Listen to how his wife died. I want you guys to see this here. I got two stories. Let me go to this one here. I want you guys to see how his wife died because it happened in front of him in the most terrible of ways. How many would think if you lost your husband or wife, that would be one of the hardest things for you ever to, to imagine in life, right? I want you to see this right here. I don't want to mess up the story. Please forgive me. I had it ready, but then I switched it out. Listen to this story right here. This man lost two of his wives. One of his sons was um, injured in the um, Civil War. Gospel Coalition here. Boy, even pastors make mistakes. Don't I need the joy of the Lord right now? I need a lot of the joy of the Lord. Let me get the Gospel Coalition. Here we go. Coalition. There we go. Listen to this man's story. It starts off here with his son. Less than two years earlier, Charles' mother, Fanny, who is the man's wife. So this, they're telling the story of the son, but I want you to hear this. Charles' mother, Fanny, had tragically died after her dress caught on fire. Her husband, awoken from a nap, tried to extinguish the flames as best as he could. First with a rug, then his own body, but she already suffered severe burns. She died the next morning. Henry Longfellow's facial burns were so severe that he was unable to attend even his wife's own funeral. I want you to hear that. Could you imagine me waking up in the middle of the night to my wife being on fire? 
Could you imagine the screams? And then me trying to put the fire out, and then it burning me as well, and she dies the next day. Now, granted, he had already lost a wife earlier, and one of his children had died as an infant. Now, you can understand the song that he writes. So, Christmas comes around, and he cannot take it anymore. His son was in the Civil War, suffered a severe injury. That's who that story was about that I put up there. And now look at what he wrote here, uh, this song. Look at this right here. It's a poem that became a song. I heard the bells on Christmas Day, their old familiar carols play, and wild and sweet the words repeat of peace on earth, goodwill to men. So you've heard that before, peace on earth, goodwill to men. He is saying, I heard that, and it almost became a mockery to him. How in the world is there peace on earth and goodwill to men? I have lost my children. We are in the middle of a civil war. He's fighting for the north. His son becomes paralyzed for the rest of his life, and he has watched his wife burn to death in front of him while he loses part of his face. Of peace on earth, goodwill to men, and thought how, as the day had come, the belfries of all Christendom had rolled along the unbroken song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Till ringing, singing on its way, the world revolved from night to day. A voice, a chime, a chant sublime of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then from each black accursed mouth, the cannon thundered in the south. This is the, shotting, uh, the shooting of cannons. And with the sound, the carols drowned of peace on earth, goodwill to men. If it was as if an earthquake rent the, her the hearth stones of a continent and made forlorn the households born of peace on earth, goodwill to men. In despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Some of you had a Christmas that was miserable, not a lot, but some of you because you've lost loved ones. And how can you sing about peace on earth when your loved one is not there? Or some of you are going through financial trouble and you're saying, how can I sing about a good Christmas when we have nothing in the house? One of our young ladies put up on her post, no Christmas, no tree, no friends, nothing, just me and Jesus. And I said, but you still got me, your pastor. But in her mind, she had nothing but her and Jesus. But see, that's the way it feels for some people, doesn't it? That's the way it felt for this man, even as he heard those Christmas bells from the churches. Then he said, then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail with peace on earth, goodwill to men. You see, he made a decision to hear the sound of the bells louder than the sound of war. How about anxiety and depression of heart? Have you ever faced those and think to yourself, God's not with me? How could the joy of the Lord comfort me now? Psalm 94, 19 says, When anxiety was great within me, your consolation brought me joy. Does it say your alcohol brought me joy? Does it say sex brought me joy? No, who brings the anxious heart joy? God does through his consolation. I could continue on, but there's too many. 
But I want to give you just a few more. Another verse, Isaiah 49, 13. Listen to this. Not a suggestion, but a command. Shout for joy, you heavens. Rejoice, you earth. Burst into song, you mountains. For the Lord comforts his people and will have compassion on his afflicted ones. Will you rejoice, all the earth? Will you rejoice? That's your choice today. Romans 15, 13 says that we should have so much joy we can share it with others in our times of trouble and their times of trouble. Philippians 4, 4 says rejoice in the Lord just when you feel like it. Rejoice in the Lord only when you have energy. Is that what it, is that what it says? Rejoice in the Lord how often? And again, I will say rejoice. Will you do that? Will you do that? What if you have to bury your mother like Ricky buried his mother? Will you rejoice? What if your wife gets into an accident like my wife got into an accident? Will you rejoice? Will you rejoice if you lose your child in an incubator like Jessica and Salvador had a premature baby that lived for two weeks? His name was Hezekiah, and we went and prayed for the Lord to spare, but the Lord took him to heaven. Will you still rejoice? Will you rejoice if your child is called off to war and comes back in a body bag as a hero? Will you rejoice if you lose your job, all that you have, and have to move in with someone else? Will you rejoice if the world goes crazy or if persecution comes to America and you're put into a jail cell chained next to your pastor who won't stop preaching? You think I'm long-winded now. How do you think I'll do then? Around midnight, I'll get to the song. Amen. You guys are going to stick with me till midnight so I can get to the song? You see, what will take away your joy? Shirley Caesar, one of the famous gospel artists of the uh, 60s and 70s, she said, this joy that I have, the world didn't give it and the world can't take it away. The question I ask you is, what will take away your joy? Is there anything in this life that you'll trade for your joy? Jude 124 says our joy comes from the Lord. I want you to listen to this because now, Brian, we have a choice to make. Do we call God a liar or do we take him at his word? Now to him, talking about Jesus, who is able to keep you from stumbling, to keep you from giving up, to keep you from a bad attitude, to keep you from negative thinking. He who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Is your God big enough to keep you from stumbling, keep you faultless, and present you to himself on judgment day when your day is done with exceeding joy? What God do you serve? What God are you serving? I'm being honest. What God are you serving? Is your God big enough to do that? Because the God of the Bible says, I'm big enough to do that keep you from stumbling. When we look at these two Iranian girls, I want to make sure we get to hear their story as well. I went about 15 minutes long in the first service. It may be here, so please be patient. If you have to go, we'll, we'll keep going without you. Trust me, we won't stop. But if you have to go, you're more than welcome to go. But these two Iranian girls who were held captive in Iran were handing out 20,000 Bibles. Uh, they had been, uh, been saved. They were from a Muslim background. After they had became Christians, they went to Bible college, and then they determined that they were going to spread the gospel in Iran. Some people today will not even spread the gospel in America, let alone in a land of captivity. I won't have us listen to it. I can basically tell you their story. I've watched it quite a bit. These two young girls were then captured. When they got captured, they were so afraid that 
They didn't know what to do. They said in their story that they could not even talk. All they could do was speak in tongues. But when their captors would come, they would boldly preach the word of God. Now that you're done watching that commercial, everybody look at them and hear my voice. They were so afraid because they were caught for handing out Bibles and they were then put into the Iranian system, sentenced with death. They were then tortured and yet they couldn't do anything talk at the beginning. They were so scared. All they could do was talk in tongues, pray in tongues. But then when their captors would come into the room and say, deny Christ, they would get so bold. Then they moved them to another jail. Now listen to me. They have been sentenced with death. They're there for almost a year, nine months in this one place, which is horrible, like a third world jail. You know, they are in this place with a, a pot for the toilet, all of this, and they're there suffering. And you know what? People in the other cells can hear them singing songs to Jesus. They start to become Christians themselves. Now listen, the ones that are in the cell are there for stealing and other crimes and can get out. They are sentenced to death because they have converted from Islam to Christianity and the people in the cells are hearing them singing and then they choose to convert to Christianity and accept the same sentence of death upon their life. Would you accept Christ under those conditions? And so these women began to say it like this. We're thankful. Talk about seeing the good in all situations. They began to say, we are thankful that the Lord brought us to jail because we get to preach more now. When we were handing out our Bibles, we could only preach so often. But now in these jail cells, we get to preach all day long. They thought they were going to die in those jail cells. But as a miracle they were released as Christians around the world heard of their cause and began to pray for them. And then Iran, trying to make good for the West, released them. And then they wrote their book, excuse me, Captive in Iran. Would you rate, I'll see if I can raise up the volume. You can hear just a little bit of their story. Sanity while you were in prison. Sometimes we couldn't pray in Farsi, our language. We couldn't find words because... Um, you know, that situation is really scary, and uh, our mind was in shock. And um, in those moments, we were just praying in tongues for each other. For example, when they took Marzi for interrogations, I was praying for her, and she did the same thing for me. Could you imagine taking you and your daughter into interrogation for being a Christian? And do you know what they were interrogating them for? Where are the other Christians? Where are your friends? Who's giving you the Bibles? Where are you meeting at? Give us their names and we'll spare you less torture. You're already dying. We'll make your death easier. This is a true story, my friends. Could you imagine you and your daughter, you and, you and Nancy, two women, young girls, 17, 18 years old, arrested for serving Jesus. Couldn't even talk. They're speaking in tongues. Listen, but when the captors would come and interrogate them, they would have boldness to preach. And uh, the Holy Spirit really led us in our prayers when we were praying in tongues. We uh, have many experience uh, with Jesus. We had uh, uh, met him, touched his love, and had seen many miracles. And uh, our personal relationship uh, was very important. You know, we both believe that Evin is really the heart and broad manifestation of the power of the Ayatollahs and is really the symbol of their dominance and strength over Iran. 
this prison is notorious for arresting, torturing, raping, and executing of many innocents. Some of my friends, uh, before I got arrested, they told me, Marzia, you know about uh, Iranian uh, prison and uh, Iranian government, if they uh, uh, rape you in prison, if they torture you, what, uh, what you will do? And I always, you know, I trust God, and I, I, I always uh, uh, told them that uh, I, I, I'm sure that God will protect us, but if it happened, I'm sure that uh, God has a reason for this. At first, can you even imagine this? I'm sure if it happens, God has a reason for this. Ignatius saying, as we chew the communion for the glory of God, these wild animals that will eat me alive will chew me for the glory of God. See, these women didn't say to themselves, I have the strength in myself. That's not where it came from. It came from a God who was able to present them without stumbling, faultless, before the presence of their Father with exceeding joy. It was a Jesus that prepared them in the face of their torture. You see, C.S. Lewis said it like this, and everybody look at your neighbor and say, that was just the introduction. C.S. Lewis said it like this, joy is the serious business of heaven. See, it's the serious business of heaven. And I had to say all that I said to you to get you to understand the next part of this message. So hang in with me. It's a little bit late, but hang in with me. reason why I had to be a little tough on you, I think it was less rebuke than it was towards the first service, but the reason is is because I don't want you to have a false understanding of what joy is. How many now know how, have a biblical understanding? You can now say, I understand what it is, Pastor. It's having a relationship with God. Going back to the very beginning, it is knowing God, delighting in God, having a continual feast in God. That is our definition of joy. Jesus, he spoke these things to us so that in him we might have the joy that he brings and our joy could be complete. Can I hear an amen? Now the question that we all have to ask, not just for you, but also for me, is complete joy in our life the normal life that we live? Or is our normal life stressed out, depressed, anxious, cursing, all of those other things? Because now this is what Christ asks of all of us. Rejoice and be glad. Delight yourself in me. That's what he commands us all to do. And so what I want you to see it as is the fruit of joy comes from abiding in God. You don't have to go look for joy. If you were born again, joy came into your heart. How many of you felt joy come into your heart when you were born again? How many of you have been born again? Let's start there. Raise your hands. How many of you felt joy come into your heart when you were born again? Did you make that happen? No more does a fruit tree make itself have fruit than you can make yourself have joy. Joy is not something you now have to say, well, I better make myself have it. No, joy is something you receive as you receive your salvation. As you continue to know God, joy comes naturally. Nancy and I love each other, and the more we love each other, the more joy we have from each other. It comes naturally. How much more so with our perfect Heavenly Father who has no faults, 
who doesn't put the toilet paper the wrong way on the toilet paper roll. Amen. No, I'm just kidding. Half kid. But you see, perfect joy comes from a perfect Savior. And so the more we know him, the more joy comes from him. And so now I want you to look at your life. And this is where the message really is right here. This is where I wanted to hit home. Is do you have complete joy or do you have partial joy? See, complete joy rests in the knowledge of knowing God, being obedient to God. That is the place where we are to have our default with Him. You are to always be full of joy. You are to wake up in the morning full of joy. You are to go to bed tonight full of joy. Whatever meets you from the morning to the night, you are to go through it in joy. But what tries to take away our joy? Fear. And sin. I think those two things summarize it. You could put everything in the sin category of things you shouldn't do. If you don't give your sexuality to God, as I said from the beginning, you won't have joy in your sexuality. If you don't give God your marriage, you won't have joy in your marriage. So these things that become sin will not have the joy of the Lord upon them. And then our fears, our unbeliefs, our doubts. You will not have joy where you have doubt. Wherever you doubt the Lord, there joy will be lacking in your life. Wherever you cannot trust God is where joy will be lacking in your life. I love what Jim Elliott's wife said. Jim Elliott was a missionary to Central America, and he went to go preach the gospel, and he would fly in by plane and drop off missionary supplies. And by the way, our church still supports missionaries like that. One of them is now in the Congo. We support them flying their planes and bringing missionary supplies and medical supplies. And at one time in Central America, he went out, this is Jim Elliott in the 60s, he got out of his plane and they speared him. They thought they were coming to attack him. You know what his wife did? She had a baby. You think she ran back to America and said, oh, no, I'm never going back there again. She went to the same village that speared her husband because she said if they will kill him, then the mission has not been, if they killed him, then the mission hasn't been finished. I will complete the mission. Now, here's what happened. When they speared him, they saw angels, and they realized that these were good people. So when the wife came, they were ready to hear the message. But the woman had to, in her heart, make the decision, I'm going to the place where they speared my husband. You can see the movie, The End of the Spear. It's based on their life. You see, the reason why she did that is because, I believe her name was Elizabeth Elliot, is the reason why she did that is because she couldn't let fear come into her heart. She knew that if she was going to serve God, it had to be all the way or no way. And if God had allowed her husband to die, yes, Elizabeth Elliot, and let me give you a few quotes by her so you can be encouraged by a woman who lost her husband who was martyred. Let me give you a few of her quotes. How many would like to hear Elizabeth Elliot's quotes real quick? Listen to some of her quotes here. And by the way, does anybody know how long Star Wars is? It's about two and a half hours, right? We do that with no problem, don't we? Dude, we did Star Wars, no problem, right? We all went there. Most of us did. Hello. How long are most baseball games, Ricky? How long are they? About three hours? Okay. Just want to make sure I haven't gone longer than what we give to the world, right? I just want to make sure, right? Just want to make sure we don't go longer than what we give the world. Okay, here's some of her quotes, and this is, this is not her. This is an advertisement of some sort, uh, just so you can see who she is. This was Elizabeth Elliot. She was a missionary. Her husband was speared to death, and she went to the people to finish the mission work. Listen, listen to some of her quotes and tell me if they encourage you, because I'm doing this for us, but uh, I'm really preaching to myself here as well. 
The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. <laughs> well, I better move here and change my life. I better do this. I better do that. Nothing wrong with moving. I've moved. But listen, when you start running to find your joy, my friend, wherever you end up, you're still going to find your problems. Guys, guess why? Because you're still there. And your problems are in you. The secret is Christ in me, not me in a different set of circumstances. That's why she took on that scenario. Anybody going through some troubles today? Be of good cheer. Abide in Christ. He's with you. There is nothing worth living for unless it's worth dying for. How many know that woman lived by those words? They speared my husband. Okay, I guess I'll go there and keep preaching because the work's not done. Leave it all in the hands that were wounded for you. I trust him. Oh, look at this one. You can never lose what you have offered to Christ. I gave him my life. I can never lose it now. But you'll lose what you haven't offered to Christ, right? The will of God is never exactly what you expect it to be. It may seem to be much worse, but in the end, it's going to be a lot better and a lot bigger. <laughs> I don't know about you, but I'm getting encouraged right now. I'm getting some joy out of this. By trying to grab fulfillment everywhere, we find it nowhere. Don't dig up in doubt what you planted in faith. This is a woman who lost her husband. I mean, I could be here all day. How many are encouraged by those? Amen? There's 40 more of them. I'll put this, I'll put this on the website so you can look at it as well. You see, what takes your joy, you need to give to God. God is wanting you to have full joy. That's why, let me just say this in closing, I'm no different than you, please. Don't, don't think that if they rushed in here, beat me, killed my children in front of me, I'm going to be singing a hymn. I will be afraid just like you. But once my mind gets right, I'm going to start rejoicing in the Lord. Hello. Did I tell you about the story of once the car accident happened? Was that in the first service? Did I tell that story yet here? Oh, yeah, so when the car accident happened, I mean, how many have ever been in an accident, right? Just boom, it's over. It's like it's happened so fast. Before you know it, the airbags are off. The windshield is breaking. There's glass everywhere. There's smoke in the car. People are screaming. Okay, when, I, when that all happened, I said, I'm okay, I'm okay. And I could hear everybody else saying they're okay. And then all of a sudden, Nancy starts screaming. And she says, my leg, my leg. Well, at that moment, man, I'm just in panic mode, instinct. I think because she's screaming because of her leg that her leg has been decapitated. And so I literally run out into the snow. I rip off my shirt and my sweatshirt like a madman, and I come around to try to put a tourniquet on her leg. I panicked. By the time I get over there, I realize she's holding her leg. It's okay. But then I responded. You see, all of us may have a reaction to things in life, but God is asking us to learn how to respond in life, not just react. Of course, when Miss Elliot knew that she had lost her husband or whoever. There was that re reaction like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. But then uprises faith. Then comes the trust. I will trust God. And then at that moment, I'm telling you, everything moved in slow motion. I, I became totally clear-minded. I talked to all the police officers, gave the birthdays of my children, began to arrange everything in my car to go into the ambulances, made sure that everybody had their jackets and were taken care of. I went into that mode. You know why? Because God prepared me for it. I believe God is preparing you for what you're going to face in 2016. If you're abiding in him, God will prepare you for what lies ahead. So the question is, how much of the joy of the Lord do you want in your life? 
Are you willing to sacrifice the joy of the Lord for your sins and for your fears? I hope that you're not. What I pray you do today, and in closing, we're not going to be much longer, but in closing, I pray that you decide that you will receive and keep that complete joy of the Lord in your life. Now, what I want to do in closing, and I appreciate your patience, I really do, is I want to play this song. Uh, Tony, would you hit off the lights, please? And uh, I really want you guys to pray with me. I know I need to pray. I really do. I, I, I got so blessed. This is literally my third time praying this. I prayed it the first time in the prayer meeting when we talked it over with the, the leaders in the first service. I was so blessed by it. That's like forever ago now. I think that was like at 930. Then at the end of the first service, I prayed it again. And, and this time I'm praying a third time. I'm telling you guys pray right now with me. And I want you to search your heart. And this is what I want you to pray as this song plays. God, is there anything in my heart that has not been surrendered to you where I don't have your peace and joy? Because now you know that your peace and joy are going to come despite your circumstances. So you don't have to wait for the world to change, for your heart to change. You can have joy right now. Can I hear an amen? I want to play this song. It's an old hymn. And I pray that you are blessed by it as we listen to it today. I'm getting it from the beginning here. Oh, it's so beautiful. Here we go, all the way from the beginning. As we listen to this, just find a place to pray. I'm going to kneel. It's much easier for me to focus that way. Whatever you need to do, I'm going to ask that you would do it. Can you put it up now for us, please? Thank you. All I once held dear. All I a little bit louder, please. Thank you. Build my life upon all this world reveals and Oh, my. 
Remember the definition of joy is knowing, knowing Jesus. You, Jesus. Rachel, would you come to the keys, please? Knowing, knowing you. There is no greater thing. No greater thing. You're, you're my own. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love Would you stand to your feet and rejoice in the Lord with me today? Would you rejoice in him right now? Give him a hand clap of praise. Tell him thank you. Rejoice in your own words right now before your king, your maker. Altar workers, would you come, please? We're going to dismiss. If you need prayer, for anything in your life, there's people up here to pray with you. But the greatest prayer that I have for you, that Jesus had for you when he was on the earth, is that you would abide in him and that his words would abide in you. And that from his words, a, a joy would come into your soul that is perfect, whole, overflowing. And that it would be the strength of your life. That the joy of the Lord would be with you in your sufferings and in your persecutions and in your trials. And that that joy would be exceeding and a great reward unto him. For you kept your faith. You honored him in this world. You didn't let death and hell conquer your love for him. This life is a divine romance between us and God. God coming after our hearts, not forcing us, not manipulating us, but coming into our lives gently, softly, and only by invitation. And for those of us who marry ourselves to Jesus, who become one with Him, we get the honor of being His bride, forever united with Him, drawn close to His side to know Him, to love him. And so when we look back on this world, we won't complain for all the hard times. When we're in heaven, we'll be grateful because it was through those hard times that we got to know him more. It was in the sufferings that we had the chance to see his glory. For that is how Jesus came, not to live as a king upon this earth, but to suffer, to be born in a manger, to be rejected by his own people, to be whipped, to be persecuted, to be crucified. And yet through those sufferings, he glorified his Father. And so in our sufferings, if we stay abiding in him, we will bear fruit for him and bring glory to our Father. For that is what pleases him, to show the Father we are truly Jesus' disciples. So before we go, will you commit 2016 to being a disciple of Christ, bearing fruit with joy no matter what you may face? And if 2016 is your best year, praise God, praise Him for it. But if it's your hardest year, you will praise Him because He's still worthy. Lord, we commit our lives to you today. 
We don't want to just be a good weather friend or a friend that just hangs around when it's all good. We want to be the kind of friend and the kind of servant and disciple that your followers were. And Lord, we want to honor you in our lives, with our families, and all that we do. Bless your people today. Thank you for 2015. And should we see 2016, we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name we pray. And everybody said amen. Can you bless him one more time? If you love him, God bless you. Have a wonderful day. Thank you for your patience. We're going to close out singing that song. And if you need any prayer, come on up. But otherwise, leave in joy. Live in joy. God bless you. Knowing you, there is no greater. There's no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness. And I love you. From the top, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, Jesus, knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all, you're the best, you're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you. All I once held dear, and all I once held dear, built my life upon all this world reveres and wars to all. All I once thought gained, I have counted lost, spent and worthless. sing the last verse. Uh, Steve, would you put up the words? Just find it. Um, knowing you, Jesus. That's what you can do when we don't have the words up there. Because I want everybody to see it. Whoever's hanging out, even if it's just for me. I, I really love this last part because uh, it just talks about knowing God even in the sufferings. And the good thing about this is it's not that the Christians are sadistic, that we like suffering. Some people may think that. They even thought that when we boasted of our martyrs, that we had the reputation of, of being bloodthirsty in a sense, that we loved to die. We would just, you know, lay down our life cheaply. But that wasn't true. The reason why Christians were so uh, willing to die by the masses and still are around the world. This is now the most persecuted generation of all times. But even specifically in the New Testament church, the reason why they were so willing to do it is because they knew death had been conquered. Um, they knew that wherever 
God was, that's where they were going. So that's where heaven was, so they're going there, you know, because they knew the abiding presence of the Lord. So just think about that. As we get ready to sing this out, you can just find the lyrics on any website. It should be the first thing that comes up when you Google it. Knowing you, Jesus. We're going to wait for you just to get that up there. Because I want us to just see it, even proclaim it as we did in the first service. That's what Jesus did for us. And that's why I'll even just preach to Rachel right here. That's why... When we see the baby die, the Christian doesn't have despair like the world despairs, you know. So when we see the cancer victim, of course, our conscience is so, so broken. But think of it this way. All that is is dust returning to dust. The soul lives on. Hello. And he made the dust live once in the garden. He'll make it live again at the resurrection. Can I get the after party with about two of you? Because I got a few more words left. Come up here. Just come stand here so I can just talk to this group right here. If you're still hanging out, keep hanging out because I want everybody to hear this. But I got to talk to just a few leaders as we're looking at this. Get this. Come stand there next to her, please. Listen to this. We see the baby die now. We see the baby die. The cancer, the whatever, right? And, and we feel the pain. Why do we feel the pain? Because if we were animals, that's just a part of the animal kingdom. More food for us. Survival of the fittest. Please keep that up, sir. Right? That, that's, that's what it is. But why is it humans, we cry, we weep. Why? Because we know something's wrong, something's broken, something needs to get fixed. Right? You get that, right? You see that. You feel it. That's your conscience. And that's not to get you to shake your fist back at God and go, why, 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 why? No, the, 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 the thing that's happening is we know the why. It's broken and it's going to be fixed. And so what did you see die? You saw the flesh. The flesh had cancer. The flesh died. But that child went right to be in the presence of the Lord. The Bible says, for the kingdom of God belongs to these. So whatever suffering we see among the children, they go right to heaven. And then guess what? He says, at the resurrection, they get to live again. And some theologians believe that all the children that have suffered will start in the millennial kingdom young and grow to their full age. I don't know, but this is some of the promises they think God fulfills in the millennial kingdom. But watch, even if that doesn't happen, they live forevermore in a new body. And some people are like, well, I don't believe in the resurrection of the dead. Well, what, what, what is the dead being raised from? Dust, the earth. Well, how did we get here to begin with? God made dust live. You all get that? That will blow your mind. So all of this we're crying about, the Bible says, is natural. Jesus cried even when Lazarus died, and he knew he was going to resurrect him. He still cried. So even though we know we get resurrected, we still cry. We don't deny our feelings. It, it hurts. Jesus wept, right? But he knew, I make him live now. He'll still die again. Lazarus is still not walking around here, is he? Do you know Lazarus? Is he still alive? He died again, though, didn't he? Because all flesh eventually has to go back to where it came from, all of it, until the resurrection. So why are we fretting over all of this flesh, all of this dust? Let's trust the maker of our souls that he'll give us another, what the Bible literally says, another jar of clay, but this one will be everlasting, right? So let's listen to this verse and sing it again. Oh, to know. Scroll up a little bit, please, sir. Oh, to 
to know the power of your risen life and to know you in your sufferings to become like you in your death my lord so with you to live and now okay we're going to sing it again but i want you all just to get did you get that how many of us have been afraid of death all of us right all of us have been afraid to die anybody still we're all afraid to die that's the worst fear so what's the worst thing death but now lord i don't fear death like i used to because i count those things that i suffer to be like how you suffered that's why god became man so he could die and and take away our biggest fears you know, what's, what's your biggest fear? Dying, suffering, you know, all of the, well, that's how Jesus died. He suffered. He had so much pain. So this woman losing her mind, Jesus relates to her suffering, the Alzheimer's patient, the cancer patient. It doesn't matter how the suffering was. Some may say, well, you lose your mind. It's worse. Cancer is worse. Lung disease is worse. Bone disease. No, all of it. Suffering. Your pain cells can only take so much. Your pain cells, right? Your, your brain, it's, it's, it's falling apart. You suffer in this life. You suffer like Christ with the glory of God in your heart, the joy of the Lord. You get to live with him. Can we just sing it one more time? Because I just feel that is so special to all of us here today. Oh, to know the power of your risen life and to know you in so whenever you suffer, know Jesus in your sufferings. Become like you in your death, my Lord, so with you to live. One last time, the chorus now. When you, Jesus, and knowing you, there is no greater thing. You're my all. You're the best. You're my joy, my righteousness, and I love you, Lord. And one last closing. It's the last sermon of the series and the last of the year. I got to go out here. Just one last. Listen. So now imagine if that accident that my wife and I were in five weeks ago, I died, right? Life would have gone on, right? You would be here still today, wouldn't you? You wouldn't have quit on God, would you? We would have had the funeral already, already would have been buried. Now, what song would you want to sing? Would you want to sing, oh, I'm so depressed, oh, I don't know what to do with myself? What would you sing? You would sing a song like this, yeah. going, Jesus, it's all about you. Whatever my pastor gave me in life, it came from you, right? Now, think. If now not me, your mother would have been in a car accident. Your fiance, Ricky, right? Are you going to change the song now? Not going to change the song now. What can you do? Can you bring that dust back to life? It's already happened. So what do you do? You say, knowing you, Jesus. That's the greatest thing. Whatever good I got from Ricky was from you. It was your image in Ricky. 
He was a husband to me. He was a lover. He was a father. All the good that came from Ricky to me was from you. And you don't leave me. You never leave me nor forsake. Do you see now why the world is so empty without Christ? Because when the husband dies, they lost everything now. They don't get them back. They don't see them again. And they have no way of interacting with the good they got from them. And I'm not talking about seeing them as in dreams or stuff like that. I don't believe in that really. I think that's most of the time superstition when people think they see them, right? Because Bible says once they're there, they're there. Only thing we see now is angels and demons, sadly. So if you're seeing a loved one, chances are that's a demon because most angels come as angels, right? So watch. But how does Ricky still live on in your heart if he were to pass? He lives on through the words of God. So you teach them to your children. You would teach them. To, so my, let's imagine Bethany, my daughter's right here at this altar. She's seven years old, right? What would you say to her if she lost to me, her her dad? You know, you would say to her, Bethany, he's with Jesus. Now think about how that's become so meaningless because we've said it so many times when it meant nothing. Somebody was a drug dealer. I was at a drug dealer's funeral, literally, and they're telling me he's in a better place right now. What you you know that he repented? I mean, how do you even know that? He certainly, certainly didn't live his life for Christ. Not everybody goes to heaven. So you see, that's a lie. So we've heard that so often. We've gone to these funerals. We, heard, we don't believe it anymore. But it's Christians that should really believe it. Christians like us who serve God. So when I went to Pastor Sutherland's funeral, that's when I started to understand it. He was, Jesus was his everything. And now if I lost him, I really didn't lose that which I loved about him because that's still with me in Jesus. And he's there. And now think of what is the rest of my life without him. So let's say you were without Ricky, I'm without my wife, or they're without me. What's the rest of your life? 40 years, 30 years? How we get 70, 80, 90 years old, depending on how much we live? How long will we be with him in eternity? So now do you see how it's all about Jesus? See, Nancy, when she had a little uh, freckle that needed to be taken out, they had to cut her open, uh, cut her skin and, and do stitches. The very first one that they did was three stitches right on your arm, on the hip. It was th- how many stitches? Three. She couldn't even look at it. She could not even look at it. The truth. Couldn't even look at it. When we went to go get it done, she was nervous as all get out. She literally needed me there in the room with her. Because she never knew the strength that God had within her. Then she went through it, and God was with her. Then she had to go back get stitches on her back, and she didn't want to see those either, but she did. And there was like, how many of those stitches? Seven. She now has 40 stitches on her leg. And I want to tell you, when we, and I'm almost going to cry right now, but when we were holding hands before they put her under to put her in surgery, and I was crying, The strength I saw in my wife was the strength of God. Because what she thought she never could have gotten through, through the trials of her faith, God gave her perseverance, character, and hope. And I haven't met a lot of great heroes of the faith, but I've met some. And those who suffer the most find that strength in Christ. 
we look at them like, like those girls from Iran, like, oh, my gosh, how could you? How did you go through? And they're saying the same thing. I didn't think I would go through it either. They're telling her, wouldn't, do you know if they catch you, they may rape? And she says, I don't know what I'll do, but I'll just trust God. So why not trust him now and not let the fear of the unknown take away our joy in him? Another saint said it like this. Trust the unknown future to a known God. And then she also said this. She said, when you look at the world, you'll be depressed. You look inside, you'll be distressed. You look at Christ, your soul will be at rest. The lawyer who was doing our claim for the insurance, I have this quote on my desk. I felt the Lord, uh, the Lord tell me to share it with him. I said, bro, here, I want you to look at this quote right here. I said, you see the worst of this world. He had to do a, a lawsuit for a woman who was mentally ill. She died wrongfully in a nursing home. He had to do another lawsuit for someone who got hit by a semi-truck. He was there the day we got home with my wife. He sees all the hurt and pain. You know, they get numb to it like a police officer. You know, this is a lawyer. And I pointed this to him. I said, see, look what, look, look what this woman said. I said, that's a word for you. You look out there, you look in here, you'll be depressed and distressed. But look at Jesus, you'll be at rest. You know what he said? I got to take a picture of that. And he put it on his phone. We're going to sing this one more time, anybody who's still here. And then we're going to sing that second part, Now My Heart's Desire. But let's just give it to God because I feel there's so much strength in this. And I want to be, as a pastor, a realist, an optimist at the same time. But I want to give the real word, amen, because there's power in that. Now my heart's desire is to know you more, to be found in To possess by faith what I could. So you couldn't earn it, all surpassing gift of righteousness. One last time, come on. Knowing you, Jesus. Knowing you, Jesus. take your joy this year. You got that joy of the Lord. Amen. You gonna let anything take your joy? Hold on to it. Amen. You gonna let anything take your joy? But I tell the story about going to the gas station with my sister. Let me say this in closing. So I used to say every day is a good day with Jesus because in the South, everybody asks you how you're doing. Remember this, you know? Well, I was woken up in the morning on break with my, my mother telling me my sister had died, and she was just saying, Jenny had died. Jenny, Jenny is dead. Jenny is dead. That's how she woke me up. That's the one who died drinking and driving, right? So I get up out of bed. I just take her by the shoulder, and I just fall to my knees, and we just start praying and grieving and weeping, you know? But then as the day goes on, you have to go to, you know, you got to go to the morgue. You, you have to go to the, the, um, the junkyard, get all the stuff out the car. I had no idea what was happening, you know, what was, was ahead of us. But as we were driving, going to those places, we stopped to get gas. 
And as we stopped to get gas, just like that time I was running from Bible college, somebody asked me, how are you doing? And I had to answer them. And literally, it was like a split-second thought. Am I going to answer like how I always answer? Every day is a good day with Jesus. Or am I just going to be like, oh, whatever. I said that moment, I said, every day is a good day with Jesus. And you know, when I went back into that car and I watched what my mom had to go through, when she went to the wreckage of that car at the junkyard, I have never experienced more pain in my life. I've never, even with my wife screaming out with her broken ankle, I've never experienced more pain than my mom going to my sister's car, pulling out little air fresheners, trinkets. The pain she was in, I've never seen. You know, you, you just, when it's your family, you feel it different. I've watched others go through similar things, but when it's your family, right? But I made a determination that day that every day would be a good day with Jesus. And that's how I was tested. So are you willing to make every day a good day with Jesus? And here's the scripture we'll close on, and I'll pray for the hundredth time here. I don't even know what time it is. But here's the scripture. Jesus, uh, the psalmist said it. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. So why do we rejoice in every day? Because every day he made it. If I'm here, I'm rejoicing. And if I lose my mind with Alzheimer's, you come and be that woman and grab me by my face and sing Jesus loves me and rejoice for me. Are you listening? You rejoice for me. If I lose my voice, you rejoice for me. Amen? Father, we thank you today that we've learned such a valuable lesson. We've learned that the joy of the Lord goes down deep into our soul. It's not superficiality. It's not worldly pleasure. It's not just happiness based on happenstance. Lord, it's a delight in knowing you. And therefore, whatever we face, we can face it with you. And we can face it with your joy. Not in the circumstances, but in our Creator and who you are. And so, Lord, thank you for giving us your words and giving us your joy. We end this sermon series and we end this year learning the lesson of abiding in you. In Jesus' name, amen. I just felt like just preaching to somebody. I know some people were still here, but I just felt like there was a few that I needed to give that to. Claim.